Okay, welcome to Progressive News Network, our Sunday show. My name is Janine Moloff. I'm the producer and host. Rick Spizek is our producer emeritus and our founder. So I realize this is Super Bowl Sunday. Actually, I just don't care. I'm not a sports fan. I have never been a sports fan. Um, and I, if I were going to choose a sport to follow, it wouldn't be football. It just wouldn't. But that being said, because I, I know this broadcast really has a larger audience in Florida where it originated, but here in my hometown of St. Louis, there's a bit of a grudge match, all right? Because for many years, back in the 90s, the L.A. Rams, which is one of the teams playing today, left L.A., where they had a horrible record. And they came here to St. Louis, and in a few short years, they won the Super Bowl. Then, after a while, the owner wanted a bigger stadium. Now, St. Louis doesn't have the kind of budget of L.A. It just doesn't. Plus, I'd like to think we're not as easily hoodwinked. It's the Midwest, after all. But that being said, we wouldn't give the owner a stadium paid for with taxpayer dollars. So in a huff, he took his team and went back to L.A., where they again started to lose all over again. Now they've made it to the Super Bowl, but the fact is I'm rooting for any team against the Rams because the L.A. Rams, which used to be the St. Louis Rams, they used this community, and then they threw us aside and just really didn't give a crap. So whatever. Hope the Bengals win. Now, let's move on to our story. I realize we've been doing a lot of very serious issues lately, so this is something that really was more of a, oh, how do you call it, a pet peeve of mine. So I'm going to take a little sip of tea here. And if you see, if you saw the advert, basically it says that this big story this week is going to be about Facebook censorship, and it's using company fact-checking companies like AFP. Now, AFP is an acronym that stands for Agency France Press. Now, normally, I actually respect AFP. Uh, they are they have a, a, a long and proud history. Excuse me. They have a long and proud history of being, you know, of basically having solid journalism. But recently, I was fact-checked on Facebook, not for something I actually wrote or originated. It's for something I reposted. Yeah. Excuse me, folks. It's February is my worst asthma month. Okay, so I was fact-checked on Facebook for something I actually reposted, and it was a reposting of a tweet from uh, business CEO Dan Price. Now, if you've never heard of this man, Dan Price is the CEO of a company called Gravity Payments, and he did something that is just unheard of, at least here in the United States. He established within his company a minimum wage, I hope you're sitting down, a minimum wage for his workers of 70 grand a year plus benefits. 70 grand, okay? We have a caller here, and 
It's a bogus number, 111111111111. Hand is up. I'm not going to answer it. Okay? I'm tired of this silliness. So getting back to Dan Price. His company is called Gravity Payments, and the minimum wage that he has established for any of his workers, this is the bottom. Okay, the minimum he paid, 70 grand in benefits. And you think, well, his company must really be in trouble now if he's paying those kind of wages, right? Wrong. His company's profitable and doing quite well, actually. So Price, you know, Price had an epiphany. This is kind of the story of him, you know. He used to pay his workers what the market demanded, okay, market wages, which, let's face it, poverty wages. And a few of the workers that he knew a little better, they just, they said, you know, they were complaining and he couldn't understand why. And then, uh, once again, we have a caller. Uh, this one is 917-373-1327. I'm telling you, if you call, I'm going to say your number over the air. But anyway, and they're holding a hand and now they disappeared. All right, getting tired of this building. So a worker approached Dan Price, and Price really didn't understand why the worker was upset with the lower wages, which were considered, you know, accepted market value. And the worker said, that's because you can't live off of it. So Dan Price did a little soul searching and some research, and he found out the worker was right, and that's when he established this minimum of 70 grand for all his workers. Well, Price realized that his workers were actually more productive, his profit margin increased. So he tweeted how the current rise in consumer prices that all the mainstream corporate media keeps attributing to inflation he tweeted how the current rise in consumer prices wasn't due to inflation, that it was nothing but price gouging. Okay? Personally, I agree with Price, so I reposted his tweet. And then the next day I'm looking at Facebook, and I received this message from Facebook fact checkers that the repost was, quote, missing context, and there was basically this warning attached to it. Now, for God's sake, I reposted a freaking tweet. How much context can a tweet have, realistically? But the the um, actual warning that Facebook attached to my reposting said the following, quote, missing context. The same information was checked in another post by independent fact checkers, end quote. All right. So I wanted to see if this was true. So I checked the link that Facebook sent in this missing context uh, message. Now, the link that Facebook sent was from AFP, or Agency for Honest Press. At this point on, I'm just going to say AFP. I read the article the fact check checker used to base this correction, okay? And, and the writer's name was Claire Savage. And I'm coming to the conclusion that AFP screwed up. I'm going to show you why and why fact-checking should not be left, um, I'm sorry, and why fact-checking should be left to groups that do not accept payment from corporate clients as AFP does. So if you go to AFP's website, you'll see Agency Fronts Press and all the good work they've done, and then you go to the corporate section, you'll see they have multiple corporate clients, and Facebook's one of the biggies, but there's some others as well, and in no, much, no matter how much they claim that this is based on integrity, do you really think that 
an agency that has corporate clients is going to bite the hand that feeds them? And that's not, it's not an allegation. It's actually a question. Okay. So this particular, uh, this particular show is going to focus on these alleged independent fact checkers. Okay. And, you know, my problem with AFP, again, as a journalistic agency, you know, news agency, I have great respect for them, always have. But I've lost some respect now that they've actually expanded into the fact-checking business, all right? And that's a problem. News agencies either need to concentrate on news and, yes, editorials, which contain opinion but are clearly labeled as editorials, or they can be a fact-checking business. They should not mix the mission. Now, some of you may wonder, what's the difference? Well, a fact-checking business charges clients to perform a job. But the problem lies in that very concept of business. Once a news agency expands into that profitable business model, basically, in other words, once, the, once a news agency um, expands into that business model of fact-checking fact for profit, as AFP has done, that same news agency has become compromised. Which mission is going to come first? This is my question. Journalism, with solid fact-checking as part of the job, or the business model, which demands you satisfy clients? You know, maybe it doesn't happen all at once. Maybe the fact-checking business people just skim a little bit of the research off. Maybe they don't do their due diligence as well, but it's a conflict of interest. So, as I said before, um, <coughs> excuse me, folks. This <coughs> um, Facebook uses AFP to fact check. Now, as I said before, AFP is Agency France Press. And it's a group with, again, historically impeccable credentials and a dedication to good journalism. Unfortunately, when AFP expanded into that business model as a fact-checking company, as part of their group, they began to compromise their credibility. And like I said, I was recently slapped down by an independent fact-checker from AFP named Claire Savage. Now, Ms. Savage herself, I looked at her LinkedIn, LinkedIn profile. She has wonderful journalistic credentials. No complaint there. It's too bad on this issue she failed to do even her most due diligence when she um, slapped me down, as well as slapping down Dan Price. So let's explain. Again, the original tweet from Dan Price, who's the CEO at, um, what was the name of the company again? I just looked at it. Gravity Payments. My bad. He pays his workers a minimum wage of 70 grand a year. Price has called out big business for their greed and their attacks on workers. Now, here's the tweet from Dan Price at Dan Price Seattle. And in the tweet, he put ExxonMobil, highest profit in seven years. Chevron, highest profit in seven years. Shell, highest profit in seven years. BP, highest profit in eight years. Gas prices, highest in seven years. Guess it's just that inflation. Okay, and this was um, posted originally at 9.53 p.m. on February 20th, 
Twitter web app, and it was Dan Price posted his tweet in a Facebook group known as the other 98%. And the other 98% is, yes, a leftist group. Um, they are challenging the narrative that the 1%, the billionaire class, and their corporate tools, um, the narrative that they put out. You know, that's what it is. Now, when I retweeted Dan Price's tweet that I just read to you, I added to my reposting my own comment, which was, quote, not inflation, just criminal greed, end quote. Now, that was all it took. Keep in mind, Facebook won't attack, um, you know, January 6th rioters or white supremacists clearly posting racist, violent racist, neo-Nazi rhetoric, because when I actually report these people to Facebook, they say they don't violate community standards. And this wasn't even subtle. But when I post this, I get a missing context correction, which basically is implying that as a journalist, I'm not really honest. And keep in mind, I was just reposting something. But I'll take I'll take accountability for it. So... I read, the post, I, said, I read the post that this independent fact checker through AFP, a woman named Claire Savage, attached to the Facebook message. Keep in mind, that message was really like Facebook's red light district, if you will. Now, the article linked as evidence to this accusation of missing context um, really depends on opinion given by a couple of different agencies, the uh, Tax Policy Institute, which is affiliated with the Brookings Institute, and also uh, the American Enterprise Institute, which is hardly an unbiased source. Okay, but we'll get to that in a minute. And so now we're going to talk about what the fact checkers, including the Savage, used to discredit my opinion at the end prices, and then they had to place a tag on it. So here's the article I'm looking right at it from Copyright AFP, uh, and this is 2017 to 2022. So this is their new AFP's new little business uh, department, if you will. So the headline is "Corporate Price Hikes Are Not Root Cause of Soaring U.S. Inflation." Okay. And I'm just going to read this. So Facebook posts claim that the rising cost of goods in the United States is due to price gouging rather than inflation. But experts rejected the idea that corporations are the main culprit and said the spike in prices follows big federal spending, heightened demand, and supply problems, all of which have accompanied the pandemic. Now, this is alluding to the idea that um, these, this inflation is due to the forces of supply and demand that have been um, ex, that the um, the demand has been ex, it's been exacerbated by the pandemic and by the supply chain being gummed up. But then think about what price gouging is. You could use the same argument to prove price gouging. You know, there's limited supply, increased demand. In the middle of a major emergency, people are suffering, so of course they have to raise prices. That's supply and demand. But you could also, since these are prices on necessities, not luxury items, you could also call it price gouging. You could literally defeat Ms. Savage's argument and the American Enterprise Institute's argument with their own words. That's what I'm saying. 
if the inflation we're talking about were on luxury goods, then okay, that's one thing. But when it's on necessity, like food, uh, electricity, gas to heat your home, uh, medical care, these are necessities. And no, there should be some protections. This is about decency, not just um, this Malthusian, uh, this Malthusian uh, um, philosophy, economic death, if you will. So let's go on. And so as I read this beginning paragraph, my response was, they're saying, okay, the spike in prices because of federal spending, heightened demand and supply problems due to the pandemic, it's not price gouging. My response is, so what? Journalist Claire Savage did not make her case. Corporations jacking up prices due to heightened demand and supply problems doesn't get them off the hook when they are accused of price gouging. In fact, jacking up the prices during really hard times, like a pandemic, where people are becoming homeless, they're going hungry, they're dying in their homes, that's the very understanding of price gouging as you're taking advantage of people in desperate times. And yes, government spending relieves some of that desperation, as we saw when households received those federal checks so they could, you know, do frivolous things. And I'm being sarcastic about frivolous things like pay their rent or buy groceries. Taking advantage of people in hard times, yeah, you could attribute it to inflation, but that term doesn't identify the source of the, that inflation. Inflation, in one sense, is a term used to soften the very real illegitimate and indecent policy of price gouging. Okay, so going on with Ms. Savage's article here, um, she did quote this post on Occupy Democrats' Facebook page, and it had been shared more than 45,000 times. And the quote was, quote, can we stop calling it inflation and start calling it what it really is, price gouging and corporate greed? And that was as of January 25th, 22. Again, this, was, this post was on the Occupy Democrat Facebook page. It had been shared more than 45,000 times. Ms. Savage also quotes another example of the claim, uh, which spread online as consumer prices, saw their largest annual jump in nearly four decades, and appeared on Facebook, and she gives the link. Now she goes into a few little factoids. Place government figures show U.S. prices rose 7.5% over the 12 months to January, and she explains how essential goods such as food, gas, clothes, and housing have, have experienced large uh, increases. She also mentions that wage costs have also risen um, and that the pandemic is at least partly to blame because workers have been able to uh, broker for themselves higher wages because employers can't get, can't get workers to fill vacancies they now have. Well, what's wrong with that? That's workers trying to broker a, a reasonable deal for themselves. Uh, I, you know, I'm not saying that Savage said otherwise, but the fact is, is she implying or is AFP implying that workers don't have a right to broker a better deal for themselves that big business does? So anyway, what Ms. Uh, Savage goes on to say, she quotes um, 
this man who's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute named Desmond Lockman, okay? And Mr. Lockman claimed that, claimed that blaming um, the current price increases um, totally on corporations is, quote, very far-fetched. And he goes on to say, quote, if they've got the power to push up prices to gouge, why didn't they do it before the pandemic? Okay, good question. Now, Mr. Lockman went on to say, quote, you might find instances where people are taking advantage of the situation to jack up prices, but that's not what really what's driving the inflation. Okay. So let's look at what Mr. Lockman has said that, Ms., that the reporter Savage is basing so much of her criticism on. Uh, Lockman is a former deputy director of the International Monetary Fund, according to Savage. And I guess Ms. Savage thinks that's impressive. But the International Monetary Fund uh, has been shown to be really guilty of a lot of I guess what could be called loan sharking, truth be told, and uh, internationally, and that has been documented by several European think tanks, including Corporate Europe Observatory. But I won't get into all that today. When Mr. Lockman says, you know, if the corporations, if you believe this, if they got power to push up prices and gouge, why didn't they do it before the pandemic? I don't know what country Mr. Lockman lives in. They did do it before the pandemic. They've been doing it since really the 1970s, the late 70s, early 80s, when the Republicans got the majority. And you have to realize, too, part of what Lockman is failing to realize from the American Enterprise Institute is that before the pandemic, people weren't as desperate. They could walk away from higher prices, go somewhere else, but the pandemic really caused a lot of supply chain disruption. Remember when people were, could, were panicked, they couldn't find toilet paper? All right. So now between the supply chain disruption and the fact that we've lost over 900,000 people due to COVID in two years' time, yeah, we have some problems with, with basically getting goods into people's hands. And now people don't have the luxury of walking away. You know, my question is, why is an alleged expert like Desmond Lockman making such an academically lazy argument based on his opinion and little else? So Lockman basically goes on to make the claim that high prices are more likely to result of big budget federal spending, as documented by Barron's, which is also uh, pro-big business, low federal reserve interest rates, again, according to Barron's, and overseas supply problems. Okay, there's a couple problems I have with that statement. First of all, the phrase more likely, high prices are more likely to result of these, these, these factors. Mr. Lockman, I, I want to say this to you and Ms. Savage personally. People who have actual data don't use such vague wording that can't be quantified, like more likely. Okay? When Ms. Savage goes on, and she quotes uh, Mark Witte, who's a Northwestern University economics professor, who also agreed that corporate price hikes are un an unlikely culprit for inflation. Quote, to quote Mr. Witte, logically it takes a change to explain, let me go again, to quote Professor Witte, 
quote, logically it takes a change to explain a change. You see something happen that hadn't happened before. Wow. Isn't that convoluted? It takes a change to explain a change. Professor Woody, that explains nothing. And Ms. Savage, that explains nothing. And then she goes on to say that Woody attributed the current inflation to a run-up of demand and a constriction of supply. Okay. I can see that. So isn't that also the rationalization used by price gougers? I mean, think about it. Professor Witte, Mr. Lachman from the American Enterprise Institute, they're attributing the main argument of their defense of these corporations with the same claim used by those who would price gouge when supply is in high demand, okay, when there's high demand and low supply. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, isn't and this is the question, in my opinion, isn't that also the same argument made by you know, drug dealers, opioid dealers. So, again, uh, Professor Woody saying, quote, people are buying much more stuff than we did pre-COVID. Okay, and apparently, end quote, so apparently that's putting pressure on the system. And then Professor Woody noted that it wouldn't make sense to come to the conclusion that corporations weren't greedy before as, quote, that is sort of a constant. Yeah, so, I, I mean, there's no ethical problem with corporate greed, especially in an emergency when people are dying. What is wrong with these people? Let's go on. Ms. Savage also quotes um, uh, a professor, a man named Benjamin Page, who is with the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center. Now, according to Benjamin Page, he said, quote, the pandemic shifted a lot of demand for, from services, like people going out to restaurants and movie theaters, to goods, like buying home office equipment and cars. And that shift represented a big, big increase in demand for certain types of goods, end quote. Yeah, so that's true. You know, what he, Mr. Page is saying is, is really true. but that excuse or explanation, depending on your, your particular your frame of reference, that doesn't grant ethical license to evade criticism when the effect of the action is still price gouging on necessities like food and energy to heat your home. And like Lachman, Page mentioned government spending like the pandemic relief programs as, contributing, as a contributing cause to this inflation. Okay. So my question to Mr. Page is, so is he fine with watching people go homeless and hungry? Is that preferable to him so you don't have the inflation? Apparently, these economists seem to be implying that poverty is the antidote for inflation, as long as they're not the ones that have to suffer through that poverty. Now, Mr. Page went on to claim that the theory that firms became, quote, more greedy during the pandemic, quote, doesn't pass the smell test, end quote. Okay. My response to Mr. Page is, really? Look at the profit margins of these corporations as they cut their workforce, deny health care, and watch their profits soar. How is that not price gouging on necessities? 
I would tell these people from the Tax Policy Center and the American Enterprise Institute to stop being hypocrites. Corporate and their vapid defenders not only want to impoverish everyone, in my opinion, to impo- and impoverish them to the level of wage play, but they want to censor any criticism of their actions. They're behaving like spoiled aristocrats who formerly would imprison anyone daring to criticize and say, hmm, not only is the emperor not wearing any clothes, but he's buff naked as a jailbird and ugly to boot. Okay. And I believe Mr. Page went on to say, quote, there are a lot of things that go in the economy that impact inflation, but I do think that that argument of corporate greed is pretty much of a red herring, end quote. Well, Mr. Page is certainly entitled to his opinion. Now, again, I have another question. You know, apparently Mr. Page and Mr. Lachman and Professor Witte, they all have this consensus opinion that, for instance, the checks sent to households so they could pay the rent when maybe they were out of a job because they were ill due to COVID and so on and so forth, that that type of, of um, you know, public help, the public spending, that that is really what causes inflation. Now, if you take that theory espoused by these, these particular experts that Ms. Savage quoted in her piece as justification to claim that Dan Price's tweet missed context and so did my reposting, and my question to Ms. Pay, I'm sorry, my question to Mr. Lockman from the American Enterprise Institute and Professor Witte and Dan Page very simply is this. Why is it called inflationary when the government spends on things like public infrastructure or direct assistance to lower and middle income people in the middle of a pandemic so they don't go hungry and homeless? Why is that considered inflationary? But it's not inflationary when we spend trillions with a T on military weaponry. The fact is, Ms. Savage through AFP, again, failed to do her due diligence when fact-checking. Now, in all fairness, Ms. Savage did quote Benjamin R. Page from the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center, who agreed with Mr. Lockman and Professor Witte. Now, the American Enterprise Institute is very much an ultra-conservative think tank. You know, they receive money from many conservative sources, including Coke industry. But the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center is a little different. When you look it up, it's considered, according to other fact-checking groups, their bias is considered center and leaning left. I'm really not sure what that means anymore since the U.S. is so far to the extreme right, that even Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan would would now be considered leaning a bit left. And that was according to Influence Watch, another one of those groups that fact-checked. The Brookings, the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center is a dual project of the Brookings Institute and the Urban Institute, according to Influence Watch. And the balance that Ms. Savage used in her article so that she could claim, okay, she had a conservative source, namely the American Enterprise Institute, and then she had this kind of leftist source from the Urban um, Brookings Tax Policy Center, okay, except that it wasn't balanced. 
The center was founded by staff economists from the administrations of Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Bill Clinton. And let's make it, let's, let's be absolutely accurate here. Bill Clinton may have been progressive on social issues, but he was not progressive by any stretch of the imagination on fiscal issues. On fiscal issues, he had more in common with Ronald Reagan and the Bush family. Let's, let's get that clear. Exactly how could this group be leaning left? Seriously. It was founded by staff economists from people like Ronald Reagan, George Bush Sr., and Bill Clinton. How could they be considered leaning left if they agree with those philosophies? Furthermore, the Tax Policy Center is dedicated. One of their main goals is to stop any tax increases. And the only way they would fund social spending um, would be by tax cuts like the child tax credit. Now, keep in mind, the child tax credit is really very helpful to a lot of struggling families. I definitely don't want to see that go away. I support it. But if that's the only way you're going to act, if that's the only way you're going to fund social needs, infrastructure, education, health care for all of this stuff, then it doesn't really address, then this group does not address the issue of forcing the billionaire class and corporations to pay their freaking fair share of taxes. So again, how is this group leaning left? Okay, let's go on. Again, Ms. Savage's peace-cited experts like Desmond Lackland, Lackland, excuse me, he's a senior fellow from the American Enterprise Institute, hardly an impartial group. But let's look at AEI, their funding and their bias. So this is from SourceWatch, which truly is non-for-profit. They don't have corporate clients, and they don't take money from corporate sources. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so SourceWatch is admittedly a progressive think tank, leftist. I'm not going to argue that point. They are. But at least they don't take money from the very billionaires working feverishly to impoverish us all. Now, while I credit Ms. Savage with making the, I guess, the bare minimum effort to be fair and balanced, as she cited experts from a conservative source, American Enterprise Institute, and another source that allegedly leans left, even though it really doesn't, that's not adequate due diligence. First of all, leaning left is not the same as quoting from an actual leftist source. Secondly, other than biased claims, there is no evidence that the Tax Policy Center is left or leaning left at all. Like I said, Ms. Savage did not balance her piece by quoting from a group of milquetoast economists to repeat the same conservative fiscal drivel. So let's look at the American Enterprise Institute, which also was a sizable chunk of alleged documentation in Ms. Savage's article. Okay. So the American Enterprise Institute, it's actually called the American Enterprise Institute for Public Policy Research. We're just going to say American Enterprise Institute. They're a right-wing think tank, and that is as documented by SourceWatch. They advocate for lower taxes, fewer protections for consumers and the environment, and they want cuts to the social safety net. Okay, again, source, you can go to SourceWatch. Everything they do includes a very very sizable bibliography. The American Enterprise Institute describes themselves as, as basically being, quote, committed to expanding liberty, increasing individual opportunity, and strengthening free enterprise, end quote. Um, 
2014, the Washington Post wrote that uh, under the leadership of CEO Arthur Brooks, the American Enterprise Institute really has become the, quote, dominant conservative think tank, that they're more influential than the Heritage Foundation. During the George W. Bush administration, a American Enterprise Institute was considered, quote, the intellectual command post of the neoconservative campaign for regime change in Iraq, end quote, according to Vanity Fair. The American Enterprise Institute has approximately 225 staff. They, they have an annual budget of over 50 million as of 2015. Now that budget, a budget that large is hardly going to be impartial when it comes to fact-checking and contradicting corporate sources. Let's get a little real here, okay? Let's go further. The American Enterprise Institute has an alignment with and donations from the tobacco industry. According to a report from The Guardian, the American Enterprise Institute has, quote, aligned itself with the tobacco industry on many issues, end quote. And again, that's as documented by SourceWatch. Examples of the Institute's work in the tobacco industry's interest in that report include the following, quote, saying that researchers should take money from big tobacco to conduct their research, saying that cigarette tax increases fund organized crime and terrorism, and arguing that cigarette taxes lead to smuggling, end quote. I'd like to ask the people at the American Enterprise Institute, how are these claims that they advanced impartial or even ethical? They're all based on opinion. Zero substantiated and credible evidence has been offered to support these allegations. And then it goes back to Claire Savage, the reporter from Amer agency France Press. Why would she automatically take as gospel the word of American Enterprise Institute fellows when fact-checking a piece on price gouging as a major factor in our spiraling inflation when the American Enterprise Institute basically uh, is not a credible source? I'd like to know. And, they're not, and I'm going to talk about how they're not a credible source, you know, how they are basically acting as stenographers for corporate. So there's more that implicates the American Enterprise Institute as an untrustworthy source. Uh, the Guardian report also said that the American Enterprise Institute accepted donations from Altria. Now, Altria, if you're not, you're not aware, is the parent company of these following tobacco companies, Philip Morris USA, John Middleton Incorporated, and U.S. Smokeless Tobacco Company, Inc. And they've accepted those donations every year between 2011 and 2017. Now, open source, um, excuse me, SourceWatch, excuse me, they do make it clear that they're not sure what proportion of the American Enterprise Institute's budget is actually funded by tobacco companies. Okay, they're unsure of that, so they're honest about it. Ms. Savage should pay attention. This is called actual documentation. It goes back again, according to SourceWatch in 1980, the Institute, um, let's see, produced a study in support of the tobacco industry. It was titled Cost-Benefit Analysis of Regulation, Consumer $5,000 by the tobacco industry to produce that report. 
And this report or study was supposed to counteract the social cost arguments against smoking. Again, when a group that claims to be a think tank or an academic source, when they accept money from the very corporate groups that they're supposed to be investigating, and they accept money from those same groups to produce a report, that's not journalism. That's not even true academics. That's some of the sleaziest public relations propaganda out there. Okay. There's more. More fictions created by the American Enterprise Institute, which again, Ms. Savage seems to think is a legitimate source. They asked her turf for Comcast and opposing net neutrality. And net neutrality is that concept that since the internet was, was actually created on the public dime through our tax dollars, that those who, basically these ISPs, these internet service providers, they shouldn't be allowed to demand more money for certain customers. In other words, they shouldn't be allowed to charge for a fast lane for corporate sources and then everyone else gets a, uh, a basically a slow lane on the information superhighway because they can't afford the extravagant cost of the fast lane. Okay, I'm going to move ahead here. There's more on that, but I'm not going to go into all of it. You can read it yourself. Um, the American Enterprise Institute, and this is very damning, um, they have called, their scholars have called out wage hikes as, quote, simply reckless. Okay? Yeah. American Enterprise Institute scholars, um, apparently, they are worried about low-wage workers. They're worried about the, quote, the sake of low-wage workers. And they claim that if you, if you mandate by law a higher wage, like a living wage, that that would increase the cost of employment and there'd be fewer jobs. Okay? In fact, uh, there was one article uh, written by American Enterprise Institute resident scholar Michael R. Strange, and he was calling out the Seattle initiative to increase the city's wages, quote, simply reckless. Okay. Now, it's part of this is true. It's true that when you when you raise wages in a tight economy, sometimes businesses have to cut back on how many people they hire. But you have to look deeper than that very vapid surface argument. I mean, think about it this way. Look at what's happening elsewhere. How is it that in countries with full employment, national health care is a right, paid leave, paid sick leave, and top-level wages, how do they still provide a profitable economy? And the fact is, here's the irony. You don't have to look any further than France is the home of AFP to witness that that this economic justice for the average worker, okay? Now, ironically, AFP is funded by the French government. Isn't that a kick in the behind ass? Um, but that's what they're claiming, and France is able to produce all of this. Even their school lunches for the average child, um, you know, you can, you can look back at Michael Moore's movie, Sicko, and he talks about school lunches. These kids were eating what we would consider French cuisine in a five-star restaurant. That was just their daily lunch. It was pure, totally healthy. 
not the garbage we serve our kids. So let's take that argument aside. It's been shown that actually when average wages increase in an honest economy, job numbers go up because working people, not billionaires, are the ones who put money directly back into local and national economies. Billionaires and even millionaires, they're, gonna, they're the ones that are going to siphon their money away in Cayman Island tax shelter bank accounts. But the average person, they're going to buy groceries, they're going to pay their rent or their mortgage. They might even be able to buy a few nice things, get, some, get a new couch, whatever. They're putting money back directly into the economy. So when you pay workers more, they spend more because they can. And then it becomes a more balanced economy as opposed to the economy we have in the U.S. right now under Republicans and conservative Democrats, which allows a few industries to basically siphon off everything, leaving crumbs for the rest of us, okay? These economists from the American Enterprise Institute and the Tax Policy Group ignore these inconvenient truths. The American Enterprise Institute also considered that the Dodd-Frank Wall Street reform bill was, quote, quote, disastrously wrong response, end quote. There was an article written by one of their alleged scholars, a man named Peter J. Wallison in 2000. I mean, and Wallison claimed that during the 08 financial crisis, which resulted in this legislation, he claimed that the financial crisis of 08, quote, quote, was not caused by insufficient regulation, let alone by an inherently unstable financial system. It was caused by government housing policies. The Dodd-Frank Act was a disastrously wrong response, end quote. And Mr. Wallison claimed that it created uncertainty and removed incentive for financial institutions to take risk. Now, that is also according to SourceWatch. Now, the fact is um, no, no group, no person, whether it's a corporation or a financial institution, has the right to demand financial certainty. There's, there's no such thing. You, you are always going to take a bit of a risk. You know, we don't have to look any further than multilateral trade agreements and ISDS to see the mockery of justice that this, that this demand for financial certainty creates. But apparently, dishonest markets are preferable to the American uh, Enterprise Institute than those which are properly regulated. Now, I don't have a problem with regulations. Regulations, or you can call them laws, they're not job killers. They're rules that all society in a specific context must follow to ensure an honest and fair marketplace. I don't have a problem with that. Scholars from the American Enterprise Institute have also supported <coughs> some of the um, voter suppression laws, especially having to do with voter ID requirements. Um, one of their scholars, Norman J. Ornstein, wrote, quote, I do not think in principle that requiring a photo ID is evil or onerous. An official photo ID can protect voters against charges that they are ineligible to vote as long as their ID is issued at no cost to the recipient. Okay, that sounds nice, but that's not what states do. What Mr. Orenstein omits is that since 9-11, you can no longer send for your 
birth certificate. So, for instance, let's say you were born in Tennessee, but you now live in California, and you're low income. After 9-11, a lot of these states implemented laws where you had to travel physically to that state, and most low-income people do not have that kind of money. So that's really a very disingenuous uh, statement. American Enterprise Institute's cast a doubt on global warming. Get this, in 07, the Guardian newspaper reported that the Institute was offering scientists and economists $10,000 each to, quote, undermine a major climate change report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It, uh, the Institute also, quote, asked for articles that emphasize the shortcomings of the IPCC report, which is widely regarded as the co most comprehensive review yet of, of climate change science, end quote. American Enterprise Institute visiting scholar, a man named Kenneth Green, made the $10,000 offer quote, to scientists in Britain, the U.S., and elsewhere, and this was, end quote, which is in a letter describing the IPCC as, quote, resistant to reasonable criticism and dissent, end quote. The Guardian also reported, this is interesting, this is where, it gets, where you really see how crooked it is. The Guardian reported the American Enterprise Institute, quote, has received more than $1.6 from ExxonMobil, and more than 20 of the staff have worked as consultants to the Bush administration. Huh? It goes on to say, according to the Guardian, Lee Raymond, is the former head of ExxonMobil, is the vice chairman of eight of the American Enterprise Institute's board of trustees. Okay. Again, let's talk about a conflict of interest, why don't we? But apparently Ms. Savage has no problems using the American Enterprise Institute as a legitimate source. You can have a difference of opinion. You can use a conservative source. But use a conservative source that doesn't take bribes. Okay? Okay, so the American Enterprise Institute, since the report, they've continued to receive money from ExxonMobil to, uh, let's see, a tune of some $1,520,000. The American Enterprise Institute has a head of their energy studies department, a man named Benjamin Zitcher, and they have faced criticism for distorting scientific findings on global warming from Jeffrey Sachs. This Jeffrey Sachs is a leading environmental studies scholar and a Columbia University professor, economist, and a UN advisor, and a very prolific author as well. And Mr. Zitcher criticized Sachs claiming he misconstrued the IPCC conclusions on global warming. And Sachs responded. He said, quote, it is Zitcher who distorts, misrepresents, or simply ignores the IPCC conclusions, end quote. Sachs went on to write, quote, it is time for Zitcher, the guy with American Enterprise Institute, and indeed the American Enterprise Institute to come clean. The American Enterprise Institute, despite its roster of distinguished academics, has failed to be constructive in the climate debate. It's time the American Enterprise Institute puts forth its strategy to achieve the globally agreed object objective of avoiding dangerous anthropogenic interference with the climate system, end quote. We're going to skip some of it. Let's look at the history of the American Enterprise Institute. As of 2016, 
They claim they were founded in 1938. They arrived in D.C. in 1943 under a different name, the American Enterprise Association. Um, Jane Mayer, who is a very prolific journalist and author, wrote of the American Enterprise Institute's early history in a book she called Dark Money, quote, to quote Jane Mayer, quote, in 1950, Congress investigated the group that became the American Enterprise Institute, denouncing it as a big business pressure organization that should register as a lobbying shop and get barred from offering its donors tax deductions. The Eternal Revenue Service nonetheless threatened the think tank's tax-exempt status. It was a searing experience that prompted AEI and other conservative groups of this period to avoid the appearance of being too partisan or of acting as corporate shills, end quote. Okay? Um, and again, this group has always spoken up for big business, and they can, but you should always note their bias then, not just that they're conservative, but they have a conflict of interest. When academics, when academicians compromise their integrity by accepting those bigger paydays to skew their research, then they cease being honest academicians. Okay? All right. So let's move on here. The American Enterprise Institute has been praised by Ronald Reagan, is the intellectual home of Bush-era neoconservatism. Um, you know, and again, George W. Bush's administration was hardly honest. They lied about the war in Iraq. You know, the late Colin Powell finally admitted he lied to the entire world in the UN when he said there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, there weren't. And here is a 2000, here's a quote from a 2007 speech given by George W. Bush, where he talks about the American Enterprise Institute. <clears throat> to quote, I admire the American AEI a lot. After all, I've been consistently borrowing some of your best people. More than 20 AEI scholars have worked in my administration, end quote. Well, if that's not a damning quote, I don't know what is. Keep in mind, George W. Bush, and something that Savage should remember, it was the George W. Bush administration that technically legalized torture in defiance of the Eighth Amendment. No cruel and unusual punishment. Ms. Savage, you really should do your due diligence. But instead, she uses the American Enterprise Institute as, quote, a credible source to discredit what Dan Price had to say. But they're not an honest source. The American Enterprise Institute is tied to the Koch brothers. This may be some of the most damning. David Koch, the late David Koch, was on the American Enterprise Institute's National Council. And those, the members of the National Council, quote, serve as ambassadors for AEI, providing AEI with advice, insight, and guidance as it looks to reach out to new friends across the country. What a pile of manure. It, apparently, between 2002 and 2013, the American Enterprise Institute received a grand total of $867,289 in terms of funding from the Charles G. Koch Foundation. Okay. The American Enterprise Institute also has ties to Donors Trust, which the Koch 
conduit. Now, Donors Trust is officially considered to be a donor-advised fund. And what that means is it takes funds from all these different sources and it divides the funds into separate accounts for individual donors. And then they recommend, they recommend to these individual donors, you know, what non-for-profits they should send the money to. And that's not uncommon. But the problem with donors' trust is they cloak the identity of the original donors. And that's because the funds are distributed in the name of donors' trust rather than the original donors. Okay? Not much is known beyond that about donors' trust. Oh, well, let me take that back. There wasn't much known about donors' tr trust until late 2012 and early 2013. And that's when the Guardian and several other groups published really in, extensive reports on what uh, the publication Mother Jones called, quote, the dark money ATM of the conservative movement, end quote. Can't make this stuff up, but that's what's there. Um, on the American Enterprise Institute, wow, they received almost 20 million from donors trust between 02 and 2011. Specifically, they received $19,840,954. Now, the Center for Public Integrity, which does really good journalistic work, okay, instead of the Brookings Tax Policy Institute, you know, Ms. Savage should have used something like Center for Public Integrity as her uh, leftist source. But then she would have had actual documentation and Facebook wouldn't have wanted that. Um, so, Center for Public Integrity did a report on Donors Trust, and Donors Trust, again, gives significant money to the American Enterprise Institute, which Ms. Savage leans on heavily in this whole, you know, in story about how, no, inflation isn't caused by price gouging and greed, it's just caused by the fact that the government gave, you know, some support checks to families in dire need. What a load of bull. So, this report by the Center for Public Integrity it exposed a lot of donor trust funders. Many have ties to the Koch brothers. One of the most prominent funders is the Knowledge and Progress Fund, which is a Charles Koch-run organization. They've donated about $8 million since 2005. Other contributors that have donated at least $1 million to Donors Trust, which again, Donors Trust gives to the American Enterprise Institute, include the Richard and Helen DeVos Foundation, Donna and Paula Smith Family Foundation, Thorough Freedom Trust, the Lind and Harry Bradley Foundation, extremely conservative, and the John M. Olin Foundation. Okay. So, once again, there's nothing legitimate about this. Okay. There just isn't. We can go on, but then you've got the Board of Trustees of the American Enterprise Institute. And I keep hitting the American Enterprise Institute because, again, Ms. Savage used that as one of her alleged documented sources for this ridiculous idea that the inflation isn't being caused by corporate greed or price gouging. It's being caused because the government finally actually spent on people that are struggling in the middle of a pandemic. Because, God forbid, we should help people that are lower income. And that's I'm being sarcastic in case it's too obtuse for some of you. So the American Enterprise Institute's Board of Trustees, 
I'm not going to read all of these, but you have uh, Daniel A. Danelio, who is the vice chairman, chairman and co-founder of the Carlisle Group, Wall Street. You've got Dick Cheney, Peter H. Kors, very conservative. Uh, and again, they can be, but you get the drift here. Okay. So we're going to move on. I think I've beat that dead horse enough. So there are connections. Now, there was a compilation of um, connections by WrightWeb, all right, about the American Enterprise Institute. Some of the connections been off of AEI, um, the Center for the Study of American Business, Center for Strategic and International Studies, Business Roundtable, um, Heritage Foundation, so on and so forth. PNAC, the Project for the New American Century, you know, the folks that were real hawkish on going to war in Iraq, even though there was no justification for it. Okay, you get the drift here. The fact is, AFP um, journalist Claire Savage should have done her due diligence, and she didn't. Okay, so the people she quoted as support to slap down what Dan Price had to say and what I had to say were compromised at the very least and dishonest. She certainly, she's certainly within her right to, from a conservative source and a progressive source. Then use a conservative source that is legitimate. There are some out there. I may not agree with them, but there are some legitimate conservative scholars. They just don't work for the American Enterprise Institute. And as for progressive scholars, Brookings isn't progressive. That's nonsense. Leaning left. Leaning left is, like, is kind of like the phrase, a little bit pregnant. It's an oxymoron. She could have gone straight to the Center for Public Integrity, which does excellent work, and everything fully documented for her progressive source. Or if she wanted a European progressive source, she could have gone to Corporate Europe Observatory, which does excellent work. Again, both groups give full documentation, not just a few lazy quotes with no links to any actual studies. That's the other thing. Ms. Savage had no links to actual studies that supported what her alleged experts had to say. None. And there's no excuse. She is credentialed. She's a graduate of the American University School of Communication. This is from her LinkedIn account. Um, let me see now. Let's see. She's worked quite a bit. Um, let's see now. For two years, she's worked for AFP, covering health and politics misinformation in the age of the COVID-19 pandemic in the U.S. 2020 presidential election. Okay. Too bad, again, she didn't. The article she wrote contained no links to any studies to back up what her alleged experts had to say. Nothing. She worked as a multimedia free, freelance journalist for the Defense and Aerospace Report, the Haitian Times, the Latin American Post, and so on and so forth. She was a digital intern at NBC Washington, so on and so forth. Okay. Um, she was a blog intern at Swizzle, Swizzle Global. This is interesting. It's a startup company in here in St. Louis. 
They use data analysis and artificial intelligence to utilize media as marketing for client companies. I, work on, I worked on improving my writing through professional influencer marketing blogs. This is straight from her LinkedIn account. Okay. So her credentials academically, she's a graduate with a master's degree in journalism and public affairs and international journalism from the American University School of Communication. She also has a bachelor's degree in Spanish and international business and a writing minor from Washington University here in St. Louis. Okay. It's just too bad she didn't do her due diligence on this. Okay. Now, let's look at AFP, her employer, that led to all of this. Normally, I wouldn't have gone into this much detail. But here's the thing. I was able to look this stuff up in under an hour. That's all it took. And I have a slow computer. <laughs> Maybe I should be working for AFP. <laughs> anyway, fact-checking in AMP, AFP has come straight from their website, the Agency France Press. They say, quote, fact-checking has been a core element of AFP's work as a global news agency for more than 180 years. The company itself has a unique status under a French law, which stipulates that AFP can in no circumstances be influenced by anything which might compromise the accuracy or objectivity of information, end quote. Uh, it goes on to say, quote, it must in no circumstances fall under the control of an ideological, political, or economic group. Um, and you get the idea here. And that all sounds lovely. I guess, and while these goals are really admirable, you, I respect it, they might want to check on the sloppy reporting some of their journalists are cranking out under the rubric of fact-checking. Okay, I'm just saying. Okay. Now, let's look at the original claim in the Dan Price tweet, which, again, I just reposted. Is this spiral of increased prices due to inflation our price gouging is Dan Price and I allege. Or was Ms. Claire Savage from AFP making a credible argument, or was it just journalistic laziness? So I've got some information here, some legal information on price gouging state statutes. And according to this, this is, uh, let's see now. Give me a second here. What I found out is about some 39 states including Guam, Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and the District of Columbia, do have on their books some sort of statute of regulation that define price gouging during a time of a stated emergency or a disaster. And to quote, again, this is from um, the NC, NCS, NCSL, okay, um, they say, quote, in most states, price gouging is set as a violation of unfair or deceptive trade practices law, okay, end quote. And then they give, like, price gouging laws by state. You know, for instance, if there's, let's say, a Category 5 hurricane hits or a pandemic, okay, a wildfire or, let's, interruption of supply chain, like with the truckers, um, according to findlaw.com, Quote, when retailers take advantage of these spikes in demand, often coupled with supply bottlenecks, by charging exorbitant prices for necessities, it's referred to as price gouging. To go on, according to fine law, quote, in most states, price gouging during a time of emergency is considered a violation 
of unfair or deceptive trade practices law. Most of these laws provide for civil penalties as enforced by the state attorney general, while some state laws also enforce criminal penalties for price gouging violations. Um, to go on, quote, the definition of excessive or unconscionable pricing is generally determined by looking at average prices in the affected area over a given look-back period prior to the emergency, typically six months or so. If prices are 10 or 15% higher, and some states have different thresholds, then it may be determined that price gouging has occurred, end quote. But apparently, Ms. Savage and AFP really didn't want to be bothered with something as silly as the actual law. Even in Texas, the Texas Attorney General Paxton, hardly a leftist, we're talking tried and true Trumper, his website had something on price gouging as well. Okay? And in Texas, quote, price gouging is illegal and the Office of the Attorney General has authority to prosecute any business that en engages in price gouging after a disaster has been declared by the governor or president. The Attorney General issued stern warnings about price gouging to businesses in times of disaster, but you should still be on your guard, end quote. Now it goes on here, 17.5.46B of the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Consumer Protection Act quote, provides that it is a false, misleading, or deceptive act or practice to take advantage of a disaster declared by the governor under Chapter 418 Government Code or the president by, quote, selling or leasing fuel, food, medicine, lodging, building materials, construction tools, or another necessity at an exorbitant or excessive price or demanding an exorbitant or excessive price in connection with the sale or lease of fuel, food, medicine, lodging, building materials, construction tools, or another necessity, end quote. Now, they do note that high prices alone don't mean that price gouging has actually taken place, but you get the drift here. I even have information from the Harvard Business School, but I think I've made my point. Uh, now, according to the Harvard Business School, you know, they have this quote here, what is price gouging? And the Harvard Business School says the following, quote, price gouging occurs when companies raise prices to unfair levels. There's no rule for what qualifies as price gouging, but it's not an uncommon occurrence. For example, EpiPen costs and Uber's price surges are both examples of price increases that have been considered unfair. Price gouging during natural disasters, and they go on into that as well. And one of the things they mention is the COVID pandemic, um, and the fact that to limit the spread of the virus early on, state governments were asking people to practice social distancing and self-isolation, and that the unintended consequence was there would be a shortage of essential supplies, and that would, you know, make prices go up. Um, so, you know, once again, there's more here than meets the eye. So, to put bluntly, I'm not claiming that all of this constitutes price gouging, but much of what's been going on would justify, at the very least, a criminal investigation into price gouging on necessities in the middle of a deadly pandemic in conjunction with supply chain interruptions that have been as severe as they've been. I would also say the arguments offered by American enterprise experts are so flimsy that their defense could easily be used to defeat their own argument with their own freaking words. 
Claire Savage, the AFP fact checker, did not fulfill her obligation to ensure due diligence. It looks like she copied and pasted quotes from economists without including any links to studies or statistical proof of their claims. There's nothing there. We were just supposed to accept what these experts said without any documentation to support those opinions. This was then used to slap down my repost on Facebook and place Dan Price's claim in the same category of rhetorical garbage as Trump true believers. They had to slap down the idea that no, increasing wages substantially does not necessarily result in more inflation. It doesn't necessarily result in jobs lost because those regular workers put money back into the economy. And let's face it, Facebook and its contracted workers, in other words, Agency France Press, AFP, had to slap down Dan Price and me. Dan Price pays his workers a minimum wage of 70 grand a year with benefits. His company is profitable. Facebook, on the other hand, I've read pays in-house fact checkers in the six figures, but they pay their independent fact checkers who are just contra- contractors, approximately 18000 annually. And when you add to that scenario the detail, the contracted fact checkers for Facebook work more than 40 hours to get it done, that's less than minimum wage. Let's face it, big business and their propagandists cannot allow Dan Price's message to get out. It would start a workers' revolt, one that's very sadly needed. So AFP employee Claire Savage, the same AFP which has Facebook as a paying client, had to discredit the tweet and my reposting. Ms. Savage, your piece was a lazy piece which omitted actual proof. You failed to do your due diligence, period. Now that's our big story for today. Hmm. Probably not what people were expecting, but I had to do it. And I don't have really anybody for Jackass of the Week. Um, I can think of several. But I guess if I were going to pick a Jackass of the Week this week, it'd be Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. Zuckerberg has basically control of so much of our personal information. He's made money off of our personal information. His fact checkers censor what people put on. And again, unlike what OAN and Fox is saying, no, the censorship skews against progressives. It truly does. Um, And you know, this is an instance where, once again, Fact-checking is part of good journalism, period. You should not have a separate fact-checking business unless you actually don't know who the clients are. That's the only way you can be impartial. And like I said, Zuckerberg, he didn't really invent anything. Facebook started as this really silly little uh, program at Harvard. He monetized it, and now you can't be on Facebook without a million ads. And then if you dare to go against what conservatives like, 
you get slapped down. I have been in Facebook jail so many times, I can't even count how many. I know in the past year I have had, let's see now, one, two, I think it was four times that I received 30 days in Facebook jail each because I dared to defend myself against white supremacists online. That's it. You know, there's a word in Yiddish, and Dr. Berg, unfortunately, is a Jew, I'm ashamed to say, a fellow Jew. But it's a word in Yiddish that describes what Facebook and Zuckerberg are. It's called schnorr. And a schnorr is a low-down, nasty freeloader. So Mark Zuckerberg is our jackass of the week for being the schnorr that he is. That's our show for tonight. With that, I say good night, and God bless us. We're going to need it. <laughs>